Well, good morning, everybody. Oh my goodness. That was a great clip, right? You're clapping for the clip, not me, right? Uh, good morning. My name is Arielle Stevens. For those of you who don't know me, uh, like Matt said, um, my family and I have been attending Rooftop for about four years or so. Um, I am a mom to four kids. I'm a barista at Starbucks. I'm also a writer. So you're probably wondering what the heck I'm doing up here because there's nothing in that description about being a pastor at all. Um, so uh, I have actually done some teaching here in the children's ministry and um, I have led in a small group setting. And then last May, I gave a talk uh, at Arise Church, which is the church plant. Um, and after watching that sermon, Pastor Matt basically said, so what's your favorite Pixar movie? And here I am. Uh, so he thought it would be a good idea for me to do this. So if this is really terrible, it's just all his fault. <laughs> yes, exactly. So Inside Out is actually one of my favorite Pixar movies because I'm really interested in brain science. I took some psychology classes uh, in high school and college. I've read a lot of books between psychology and faith, about psychology and faith, and I even considered getting a dual degree uh, in theology and counseling at one point. Uh, after I had kids, brain science became even more important because I needed to understand stages of brain development, what neurological markers to look for if there was a problem, what the heck was happening when they screamed because they got the red cup instead of the blue cup. And as a mom, I just seemed to have lost my brain. In Inside Out, we meet a girl named Riley, her parents and the gang of emotions in her brain, joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust, all appropriately colored. <laughs> Riley's life is really great. Uh, she has loving parents, she's thriving in school, she plays ice hockey until their family moves from San Francisco to Minnesota at the, I'm sorry, from Minnesota to San Francisco at the ripe age of 11. Riley is generally a happy person, right? She has happy core memories, but when they move, these memories become sad and dislodged and they result in full-on chaos and confusion in her brain. Joy and sadness embark on getting these memories back to restore Riley to the happy girl that her parents lovingly call her. We see the emotions literally all over the place, and sometimes the emotions seem to have emotions as Riley tries to make sense of this move. So the writers really wanted to illustrate the brain and our emotions as scientifically accurate as possible. So they collaborated with uh, neuroscientists and psychologists to learn more exactly about what these emotions do. Uh, Joy's monologue at the beginning of the movie contains like a short biographical snippet of each emotion. Fear can keep us from harm. Disgust does protect us from grossness, uh, like broccoli and fashion faux pas and dead rats. Anger does make us feel like crying, or I'm sorry, feel like cursing, and there's no place for sadness, according to Joy, and Joy is responsible for Riley's happiness. In the movie, the writers actually gave nods to brain anatomy, so you'll see like shelves are a brain landscape, railings look like DNA, there's a train of thought that zooms around. We see the emotions fighting for the control panel, which who hasn't felt that way? But what the writers really wanted to do was focus on the mind and how our minds and our emotions play a role in our lives. The brain is actually different from the mind, right? It's an organ, it's tangible, but it's where the mind lives. It's like the mind's house. The mind refers more to thinking, reasoning, choosing, and feeling. 
So I'm not the only one who actually loves this movie. It was nominated and won dozens of awards, including Best Animated Film at the Academy Awards, which means it resonates with a lot of people. But why should Christians care about a movie that's about emotions? Does Inside Out, a movie that seems to be about brain science, offer us anything besides some laughs and some weepy moments? Well, people have actually been talking about emotions for thousands of years, all the way back to Aristotle, the philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, right? They called uh, emotions passions or desires. There was even a belief that bodily fluids produced emotions, which is just really disgusting. Like the philosophers, though, there's still disagreement among medical professionals as to what exactly emotions are. So if we had to define emotions in layman's terms, it might sound something like emotions or feeling brought on by an event or a situation that may or may not occur at a neurological, physiological, or psychological level, and they might cause us to behave in certain ways, which doesn't sound very layman-ish when you put it that way. In the 1970s, uh, psychologist Paul Ekman recognized six basic types of emotions. Do you know what they are? Sadness, happiness, anger, fear, disgust, and the sixth one? Joy. Surprise. (laughs) Not like surprise, like let's find out what it is, but it's actually surprise. We actually experience a spectrum of emotions, but a lot of these emotions like shame, guilt, contentment, anxiety, excitement, loneliness, and more stem from these six emotions. Maybe bing bong represents surprise? The ancient Hebrews actually wrote about emotions too. In fact, they were really emotional people. There's an entire book of the Bible called the Psalms that's dedicated to emotional prayers. And then you have the book of Lamentations, which is about sadness and despair. And then you turn to the New Testament and you see Jesus being very emotional in the Gospels. But sometimes Christians are the worst at displaying their emotions or they have negative views of what it means to be emotional. I mean, think about it. What comes to mind when we say that someone is emotional? right? It might look like sadness or anger or fear, right? Uh, We might think of emotional people as unstable or irrational or out of control. But really, being emotional just means you have a lot of feelings. As Christians, we actually hear a lot of conflicting ideas about emotions. Don't trust them and ignore them or push them away or have uh, faith over feelings and value reason instead. And on some levels, this is completely true, right? We shouldn't allow our feelings to dictate the truth to us. But what do we do with darker feelings like anger and fear and disgust? Do they have any value in the life of a Christian? So why are we talking about emotions? Well, one, because Inside Out is a good movie. And more importantly, because emotions are God-given, and they help us to become more like Jesus. So this idea actually has some scientific and biblical support. So here's a quick science lesson for those of you who woke up this morning going, oh man, I really want to learn about the limbic system of the brain. I really hope there's a lecture on it at church. So your brain, very basically speaking, has an upstairs and a downstairs, okay? And these work together. 
The downstairs part is where all of your emotional activity takes place, like think, fight, or flight response. And the upstairs is where we do the thinking and the reasoning. So if you're wondering why children scream because they don't get the right cup, it's because this downstairs part, this primal part, is actually formed first, and the upstairs needs some work. So what we see here is God created us to think and feel, and sometimes we need to think about how we feel. In the Bible, we often read about the heart, right? This is where we have all of those emotions, right? We might feel the warm and fuzzies, or we might feel raging hot anger. Um, But the Hebrew idea for heart actually goes beyond that. It incorporates the mind. So in other words, for the Hebrews, reason and feelings were inseparable, Now, maybe you're thinking, oh, of course, a woman is giving a talk on emotions. (laughs) Well, historically and unfairly, women have been pegged as more emotional, but men, you are not off the hook. For one, scripture calls us all to something called sanctification, which means to make us holy or to be set apart for God's purposes. While there's several themes that you could explore in Inside Out, what the writers really wanted to do was tell a story about how emotions play a role in growing up. Sanctification is kind of like growing up. It's becoming more like Jesus. Why do we need to be sanctified or holy? Well, because God is holy, and we're to be like him because we're made in his image. We see this play out in the movie. Riley learns that processing her emotions is a part of growing up, but there is a right way to do so. As we grow up into holiness, part of that process is handling our emotions in a healthy and godly way. Sometimes our emotions might be out of place with God's purpose. Take baby Riley, for example. In the movie, baby Riley is angry because she won't get dessert unless she eats her broccoli. Now, maybe some of you are angry that you have to eat broccoli or that you don't get dessert, which is understandable. But, you know, this is a pretty petty thing to be angry about, right? I mean, it's completely age-appropriate for a two-year-old. But could you see a 32-year-old acting this way? Also, guys, Jesus was male. And he was emotional. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. He was angered by doubt and disbelief and disobedience. He had a fear of the Lord and he rejoiced. Jesus is emotional. And what he does with his emotions is righteous and good. Uh, There's actually a doctrine. Doctrine is just a fancy word for what somebody believes called the doctrine of impassibility. Now, we are not going to deep dive into impassibility today because you will walk out of here cross-eyed and beg Pastor Matt never to bring me back again. Um, But it's the belief that God is unable to experience pain or suffering. Theologians think that God is not emotional or doesn't have any emotions. I don't think this is an accurate portrait of God because if God can't feel anything, then how can he care about us? Of course, just because I don't like something doesn't make it untrue. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus states that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
The Gospels also state and show that Jesus was deeply troubled or moved to compassion. And in the Old Testament, God is grieved by humanity's violence. And commentators on the book of Jeremiah, the prophet, who is often called the weeping prophet, note that it might not be the prophet who is weeping, but God. Biblical scholar Carissa Quinn says this about our emotional God. God is emotional. But he's not capricious or moody or dramatic. He's emotional in the best way, like a parent who is deeply bonded to their child. Like God, we are emotional. Unlike God, we don't always use our emotions for good all the time, or we often use them to satisfy our own agendas. Part of sanctification is recognizing that being emotional is okay. But being out of tune or even out of control emotionally is not. For example, when uh, I was younger, I was a teenage girl, so I had a lot of feelings. I prayed about my feelings. I talked about my feelings. I journaled about my feelings. I had a pretty good idea of why I felt what I felt. After I became an adult, I kind of lost touch with this practice. You know, I had kids, and I was making sure they weren't dying and paying attention to their emotions, right? I didn't really have time to think or feel, nevertheless think about what I was feeling, and this caused problems. Some of you are like this too, out of touch with your emotions. You're busy with children, family members, jobs, hobbies, and you don't have time to really invest in thinking about feelings. Sounds kind of mumbo-jumbo or inspiration-y. And perhaps you think that maybe struggling with your feelings is weak for weak people, like a stoic. Or you indulge in your emotions, right, without thinking, and that's called emotionalism and not the same thing as being emotional. When Riley was struggling with how to process the move, she gave in to that fear, disgust, and anger, stole her mom's credit card, bought a bus ticket, and hiked it out of San Francisco. Now, as I watched the movie and I watched Riley do this, I kept thinking, like any good parent would, where is she going to go? She, she's going to get lost. She's shut down. She's not thinking clearly. She's being a child who doesn't know how to deal with her grief. If we are constantly giving in to every emotion or pushing them away, we're going to have a really hard time being like Jesus. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So, as an adult, I've learned three important things about emotions, and in true rooftop fashion, they all start with the letter E. So, if you are judging me, I should just get some points. Number one, emotions allow us to experience life. Take joy, for example. The Bible actually says quite a bit about joy. There are several scripture verses that command us to be joyful, and then it's, there are several stories that show that joy actually comes out of a number of things like winning a war, feasting, marriage, friendship, having children, repentance, and even drinking. Yes, drinking brings joy. Message over. Everybody have a great day. <laughs> and this was Jesus too. 
To be honest, sometimes the picture of a joyful Jesus is somewhat jarring to me. Scripture describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and weeping and throwing a temper tantrum in the temple. So I always just kind of pictured him with like a somber face. But scripture also tells us that Jesus went to parties. He was accused of being a drunk and a glutton, which probably means he was having a good time. And he gave us ridiculous metaphors in his teaching, like the log hanging out of somebody's eye. So in the New Testament, Jesus is giving, um, he's teaching, he's doing a teaching on judging others. And he says, don't look at the teeny weeny speck of wood in your brother's eye and then ignore the giant tree that's basically just growing out of yours. Can you see people maybe laughing at this picture? Maybe Jesus laughed with them. Then there's sadness. In Inside Out, we actually see joy and sadness together, which is intentional. Joy kept trying to make sadness into something that she wasn't and tried forcing all those core memories back, those happy core memories, and everything was going to be okay. But she couldn't control the fact that sadness was having an effect on them. I just want to touch one, sadness says, and the core memories start to turn blue. Sadness is a proper response to death and destruction in the world. Many Christians assume, however, that we should just ignore sadness, right? If we truly love God, we would be joyful all the time. However, I think Inside Out accurately reflects this Christian reality of joy and sadness. According to scripture, true joy seems to come out of suffering and is not always absent from it. In Inside Out, sadness drove Riley to her parents and her happiness returned. Now, I'm not saying that in our sadness, we're always going to be happy because happiness and joy are not quite the same thing. Joy is more of a uh, looking forward to, to knowing how the story ends. Ironically, it's more of an action than a feeling sometimes. When the Pixar animators were animating Joy, they wanted her to look bubbly and celebratory. And we might think that this is a portrait of a joyful person. But it's okay if your joy doesn't look like joy. We can't be Christ followers and joy bringers into the world by ignoring the experiences of sadness. Jesus didn't. So feel. Feel all the feels, as everybody says today. Feel happy, feel sad, feel anger, disgust, and yes, sometimes fear. Number two, emotions engage us with God. So after my fourth child was born, um, I would kind of just escape to the sanctuary of my van during nap time uh, because everything was just too much, right? There's too many requests for juice. Spill after spill, blowout after blowout, time after time out just made me go right out the door to the van and just sit in quiet for just however long anybody would sleep. And sitting there, sometimes... I just let God have it. Where are you? Where is my rest? Why can't I control my anger? I'm tired of feeling so upset all the time and anxious. Children are supposed to be a blessing from the Lord. It certainly doesn't feel that way. This was my spill, a prayer to God, as the psalmist says in Psalm 62, 8. Trust in God at all times. You people pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. 
The Net Bible Commentary describes the phrase to pour one's heart out means to offer up to God intense emotional lamentation and petitionary prayers. It's actually an invitation to engage and empty all we are feeling to God as a form of worship. Jesus did this. Jesus engaged God. Uh, Sometimes I wonder if we focus too much on the divinity of Jesus and we forget that he was blood and brain and bone. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus suffered one of the most emotionally charged moments of his life. Before before his arrest, he experienced um, what scholars think might be the equivalent of a panic attack. And he prayed and pleaded with God, not my will, some translations say desire, Not my desire, God, but yours. On the cross, he quoted Psalm 22, in which he felt forsaken by God. Jesus was so emotionally overwhelmed that he couldn't even form his own words or thoughts. If God can handle Jesus' excruciating prayers, he can certainly handle ours. He is not turned off by our anger, our fear, or our disgust. Number three, emotions expose our hearts. So as I said several times, I had four little kids um, in like four and a half years or something, and I struggled hard, (laughs) not just with the diaper budget, but it peeled back the layers of sin that I tried to keep hidden about myself. I was angry that I couldn't sleep. I couldn't keep my house clean. I felt completely out of control. I was angry that my time, my money, my body no longer belonged strictly to me. So I put myself in counseling for a year to uproot and understand what was going on. Anti-anxiety medication helped too. (laughs) But motherhood exposed me. It showed that I loved myself and all of my things more than I loved God. Our emotions are not bad, but like a magnifying glass on our lives, they do expose us. They show us what we love and what we value and what happens when those things are threatened. But this is good, right? God wants to expose us so he can sanctify us. The psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist finds safety in the fact that God can know him and point him to a better way. The gospel is not merely a transaction. I take Jesus' righteousness and he takes my sin. But it's transformative. We are to become different than we were before. So, emotions help us experience life. They engage us with God. They expose our hearts. They're not bad, and we've even seen that Jesus himself was emotional. So now we have to ask the big rooftop question, so what? Now that we know all these things, what do we do with them? What do we do with our emotions? Well, I have an application today that conveniently spells out. So not only do I have a sermon with three points and three letters, but it spells a word. Matt has never done this. (laughs) Yep. I'm totally showing him up, so you can just expect to never see me again. 
First, own your emotions. Own your emotions without acting on them. This is actually really important. Don't think about whether or not you're having the correct emotional response. Uh, My toddler pushed his plate of broccoli off the table. I lost my job. I'm afraid. Um, Just sit and state how you feel. Without owning these feelings, we will push them away, leading to more destruction in our lives. Compressing emotions actually leads to psychological and physical troubles. In the movie, when Riley didn't acknowledge her sadness, everything started shutting down, and she made terrible decisions, and she went the wrong direction. In psychology, this is actually called emotional suppression or pushing feelings away on purpose. What happened to Riley is similar to what happens to us when we emotionally suppress. We lose sleep, we're distracted, we get sick, we become aggressive or ragey or shut down, and we don't bring any goodness into the world. Some of you are suppressors. I know I have been there. Some of you know or live with suppressors. And it's not healthy for anybody. We have seen that Jesus did not suppress his emotions. And if this is you, it is important that you acknowledge that for the good of yourself and for others. Next, understand why you are feeling the way you are. This is the tricky part because there's never any one reason for why we're feeling what we're feeling. Um, At work, a lady complained because I didn't put enough foam in her cappuccino, and then I thought, oh no, I'm a bad barista, and then I was anxious that I'm going to lose my job, and she started it, and you can see where this is going. We see this emotional complexity in Riley as she grows up. Her emotions are not a single color, but they're mixed. They're red, green, yellow, blue, and so forth. Sometimes we need professional help. Uh, During my time at Covenant Seminary, I saw a student that had a sweatshirt that said, Jesus and therapy, which I thought thought was totally appropriate. We are broken people, even at the physical level sometimes, and we need help. Counseling, therapy, medication, talking to a pastor, all of these things can lead us to a better understanding of why we feel what we do. If you need help, Get help. This is actually commended by scripture, seeking counsel when we need it for understanding. Proverbs says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. We'll talk about being wise in a moment. We don't always know what's going on with our emotions, and our view is often skewed, and sometimes we need somebody, a wise person, to come in and intervene and instruct Understanding can be a struggle. Some of you have been through unimaginable and just unthinkable things. But struggling with those emotions actually shows us more of the goodness of God so we can experience it for ourselves. Lastly, tame. It's so hard. We have to tame our emotions. We cannot be ragey, constantly fearful and disgusted, stuck in our sadness, or even distracted by our happiness and claim to follow Jesus. Now, taming your emotions is probably one of the hardest things to do because if you're like me, you just fly off the handle super quick. Just ask my husband. Taming your emotions might look like slowing down or starving negative emotions when they're out of place. 
it's the same concept um, if I'm trying to lose weight, right? Like if I want to become a healthier person, um, I need to stop, I need to say no to like excessive amounts of frappuccinos and television, you know, if I want to be healthier. We have to say no to things like petty anger, to being disgusted with others, being overly fearful, and other sinful emotions. In the letter to Titus, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. But how? How do we do this, right? I hope you're asking that question, and I'm right there with you because I'm an emotional person too, but maybe this is helpful. The book of Proverbs gives us practical advice like this. A fool expresses all his emotions, but a wise person controls them. So how do we get to be wise people? And what, what is wisdom exactly? Well, Proverbs tells us again. Proverbs is winning this sermon. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So that phrase, the fear uh, of the Lord, is sometimes explained as awe or reverence. And it's not a wrong description. It's just not robust enough because the biblical authors were actually using a word here that means fear. But fear in this context could be summarized as a trembling, like a physical shaking, like when you see something that's so great that leads to an understanding um, or a seeing and a humbling The rightful fear is about having a relationship with God as his beloved son or daughter, having a humble posture towards him, and not being afraid. This means we need to love what God loves, to reorient our anger and fear and disgust to reflect God's purposes, to be angry at um, injustice and idol worship, right? To be disgusted with our sin, not just broccoli and dead rats. And to recognize that sadness and joy have their place. When we do this, we become wise. But wisdom isn't just an intellectual practice, right? It's not just knowing right from wrong, although that can be contributed to wisdom. But God's wisdom is actually about order. So what does order have to do with taming my emotions? Well, think about it. If I'm angry that I don't get my precious me time and I'm not angry at all the injustice and wrong in the world, I'm going to be yelling at my poor family while ignoring all the wrongs in the world, and no good is going to come out of that. If my loves and my values are out of order with God's, I'm going to bring about disorder. In Genesis, the first thing that God does is bring order out of chaos. He invites us to share in that wisdom, and we screw it up because we don't listen to that wisdom. The writer of Genesis actually uses emotional language here to describe Eve in the garden. She intensely desired what she shouldn't have, listened to the wrong voice, and chaos ensued. Humanity, when choosing its own way, when we choose our own way, leads to disorder. Wisdom is about knowing how to bring order into God's world, and we can start by taming our emotions. Matt says it's important to repeat things, so I'll repeat it. 
Wisdom is about knowing how to bring order into God's world, and we can start by taming our emotions. When we're in a right relationship with God and practicing wisdom and changing our minds by owning, understanding, and taming our emotions, our brains will actually adapt, and these habits shape us. We reorient ourselves to reflect God's design and become more like Jesus Christ. Just as we pour out all of our emotions, God equally pours out his wisdom. The book of James confirms this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. One of the things that I really love about Inside Out is that it's not all tidied up at the end. We hear uh, Joy say, Riley's 12 now, what could happen? Well, in the life of a teenage girl, a lot. But Riley did learn something. And before we close, I want to show you what happens. Once Riley knew she was feeling sad, she knew exactly where to go. Home. To her loving parents who felt the same way that she did. Jesus is our example of how to be an emotional, godly person. The book of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, and he did not sin. And like a loving parent, God is eager, welcoming, gentle, forgiving, and full of wisdom. What do you do with your emotions? Whatever you are feeling, go to your Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of emotions, for joy, sadness, even anger and fear and disgust. Being uh, emotional and being human is rough and overwhelming sometimes, but you know that because we are like you. I pray for all of us here today, for those who struggle to struggle with their emotions and for those who feel suffocated by them, that, that you would step in and that you would offer your wisdom and that we would listen to that wisdom and that we would be like Riley, that we would go to you when we are feeling all of these things that we don't understand, but you do. And that we can be like Jesus, who did not use his humanity for himself, but used it for the good of others. Pray that you would give us all of the wisdom and all of the comfort that only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.